Migration Conversations is a podcast that invites persons to share their migration stories. Hosted by myself, Professor Jamie Liu, each episode is an in-depth conversation with people who have experienced the Canadian immigration system or other migration regimes up close. We talk to migrants, immigrants, lawyers, policymakers, advocates, and experts. We hope that these conversations shed light on the challenges migrants face through their own voices. Welcome to a two-part episode of Migration Conversations, where we talk to former migrant caregivers. In our two-part conversation, we talk to members of Migrante Ottawa, a cause-oriented organization that promotes the rights and welfare of Filipino migrants in Canada. The nonprofit volunteer-based organization is part of Migrante Canada, which is a national alliance of migrant advocacy organizations. Migrante Ottawa supports Filipino migrant workers and seeks to address the political, social, and economic conditions that lead to the abuse and exploitation of migrant workers. In part one, we will hear about Mary Jane's experience as a temporary foreign worker in an embassy and as a caregiver. In part two, we talk with Melanie about her experience as a caregiver of children and with a person with high medical needs. In part two, we also speak with M.A., an advocate with Migrante Ottawa. As you listen to Mary Jane and Melanie's stories, think about how immigration law and the design of the temporary foreign worker program shaped their lived experiences in Canada. I want to let listeners know that what you may be hearing may be upsetting or disturbing and to pause and take a break from this podcast if you need it. Welcome everybody. I'm so honored to have you with me today to share your knowledge and wisdom. I think what we'll do is we'll begin with Mary Jane and I'll ask you first if you can share with us on why you decided to come to Canada and how you were able to do so. Okay. Hi, I'm Mary Jane. Okay, I moved here in Canada because, um, yes, I have worked in the Philippines, but it's not uh, enough my earning to uh, to have my kids to go to school. And I live in a hardship, you know. We're not rich. <laughs> So I have to work, work hard. So I came here to Canada through my family friend. She referred me to work in the UAE, which is the United Arab Embassy. So you, um, I understand that you came here as a temporary foreign worker um, after acquiring a job with someone who was working at the UAE Embassy here in Ottawa. Um, can you tell me what you thought your job was going to be at the embassy and what it actually entailed when you arrived in Canada? Actually, when I uh, first saw my um, 
contract that they sent to me to work in United Arab Emirates, they, uh, they told me as an organizer in the United Arab Emirates Embassy. But when I came here, uh, June 5, uh, is not only an organizer, but as a nanny too with uh, two children. So you had understood your job to be working as an office administrator, organizing things at the embassy, organizing events, but in reality, when you were yeah, just okay, just an organizer in the event. That's what I understood because I also trained uh, in the Philippines at least two months to have this uh, kind of how. I can do the job description that they told me as an organizer. So I I learned from, you know, um, I enrolled at least two months for the, they called it a hotel and service restaurant, just to know how you can do it as an organizer of the event. That's what I need to do before I came here to Canada to work in the embassy. When you arrived, however, you discovered that you were being asked to take care of two children. That's correct? Yes. And can you tell me what your duties were as a caregiver of children? Yeah. When as you an, did not know that you were. <laughs> okay. As a nanny, uh, I took care of two kids, which is 12 years old and seven years old. They are boys and girls. And I have to, from the morning, I have to prepare their lunch, lunch bag to prepare, go to, going to school, other stuff, tidying up all the school supply that we need, and making sure that they are, you know, in good, you know, uniform, their hair, they need to tidy up and make all these things like, you know, preparing all things that they need to bring to school and from there I have to be a company with the driver and the kids to go to school and when we get to the school I have to return back to do my household chores which is like you know washing their clothes tidying up their dresser bed and cleaning um, cleaning up the house with the with their mom in their house you know um, they are they are always yelling I'm sorry but I, I start no. to remember everything again <laughs> oh, sorry that's okay I know it's really difficult to recall this difficult time in your life and I'm really sorry that you had to endure this. It sounds like you had to do a lot of domestic chores that were not in your job description at all and it sounded like you had to work um, two jobs essentially at the same time. Um, can you tell me what your working hours were like and how you were you kind of allude to it, but how you were treated? Yeah, were, I started. Uh, yeah, I started to work 
six in the morning and from six in the morning that's what i did first thing in the morning just to prepare the kids to go to school after that i have to go back to uh, the house to do the household chores cleaning ironing preparing their lunch again because the mothers stay home so we need to be you know on time every time they ask me you have to clean washroom all the corners of the embassy's house you have to clean that's my daily, you know, routine every day, 6 a.m. And then I'll have to finish at 11, 11 p.m. If there's a party, I always stay late at least 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock because there's, there are guests that is separated from two floors. Because in the Muslim uh, country, they have this culture that you have to separate the men and women. So because I'm the only um, is that Catholic serving on that uh, house, so I am the one who can serve the men and women. While I have another nanny that they can only serve the women. But me, because I'm a Catholic person, so I have to serve two floors. That sounded like a lot of work, and and I'm, yes. um, and it sounded like your employer did not respect your time or um, your no. job, job description. Not at all, because from for them, it's your it's my job. So even it's late. It's my duty to finish all the chores before I go to bed. Did, your, did you ever feel comfortable talking to your employer about the hours or the kind of work you were doing? I never uh, asked them to uh, talk about the hours, but I always took to the chef cook which is the basement because they have this chef that always cook for the food. We are only preparing their food, but uh, other people cook for their food. So I always talk to this man, which is, uh, he always told me that um, working in the embassy, we cannot do anything just to follow them. But I said, it's not the way we need to work. But he always told us that, you know, what we're going to do. We're all in the same, you know, situation. If you're the driver, if you are a chef, if you are a nanny, and if all other stuff, it's all in the same situation. So you never felt like you could talk to your employer openly about no. what you were feeling? No, because every time uh, you ask, you know, politely ask a question, they yell back to me. So I'm really scared because I'm I'm not used to you know yelled. I always, you know, in a way that you can ask me nicely. What did you think would happen to you if you confronted your employer about your working conditions? 
Um, for me, I think they're gonna be uh, restricted for me or do something else that may be out of empathy or something that I don't know what they can do for me because I'm so scared at that time. So I never asked for my condition that is, you know, long hours to work. I never complain. I keep working. Why, why were you scared of them? No, because at that time, I, you know, I'm just new and in Canada. And even I have my sister. I can, you know, visit her to, you know, to tell her that all oh, my situation is like this and like that. Because I can't, you know, go out. I have no day off at all. So you work, you work seven days a week? Yes. Seven days a week from 6 a.m. to around 11 p.m. Working 11 p.m. maximum. Yeah, working two jobs, including the caregiving of children and the organizing of events that could go late into the night. Yes. Um, thank you for sharing. I know this is difficult to retell this experience. Um, you had mentioned to me before that your employer also kept and withhold your passport um, and that this also affected um, how you felt about your ability to do anything in Canada. Can you explain how this made you feel and why your employer did this? Yeah. Uh, as soon as I arrived June 5, late at night, uh, when I arrived in their house, still standing near the door, my baggage still nearby me, and the ambassador asked me to uh, hand it over my passport. I was in shock. Not any words, you know came out from my mouth. I just looking at them, it's like asking, but never anything bored come out. So when the ambassador said, um, all the stuff that is working, you know, in the embassy, they give to uh, keep their passport at the office. So at the time, I can do anything just to hand over it to them. I have no choice. You also um, described to me that you had no privacy because you were living in the house, the same house as your employer. Can you describe how you had no privacy and how your, um, your time was not respected and that it was always encroached upon yeah because uh i live with the embassy's house we have a room but i have a roommate we have like this kind of you know bunk bed we have sleep together in the same room and they have this culture that she's also a filipina but she's a uh, uh, muslim and she uh every time she had to pray so many times a day. 
and sometimes if I want to, you know, uh, take relax and rest, I can because sometimes she's there to pray and sometimes she doesn't want me to stay there watching her praying. So I have to leave the room. And sometimes when we have this kind of, you know, at least 30 minutes break to sit in our place, which is our room, the kids are knocking the door, asking for something. It sounds like that you were working even though you were off, even when you say you were only yes. working. Mm -hmm. um, you were working around the clock because the demands were at your door. Yes, just near the door. How long were you working in this situation? I've been there since June to February 12, so almost eight months. So eight months you endured this. Can you tell me how you were able to escape this exploitative and abusive situation? Yeah, actually, I decided to escape because they want me to bring to Russia, which is the next uh, assignment for the ambassador, because they are diplomat. So they're going to assign for another assignment to Russia. But they even not ask me if I want to go or not. The ambassador just told me that I have to pack my things and will go soon. I can do anything because, you know, my passport is not on my hands. They're holding my passport. So from there, I keep thinking since they told me that we're going to leave soon. I don't know when, but I start to, you know, panic. How can I, you know, go out from this house? How can I, you know, if I try to ask the ambassador, I'm going home back to the Philippines because I have these kids, you know, my family waiting for me. But um, my the ambassador said, no, you cannot go home. You have to go with us. So I said, I want to go home. That's the only thing I need. And then the ambassador refused because he said, you're going with us so from there i have to you know decide not to go so i need to escape i just and you know waiting for the right time and that right time when there is a celebration which is the wife's birthday of ambassador because all over the house of the embassy has this security alarm that when you open the door they're ringing even the window and there is a 24 hour security guard so at the time while i'm serving them for their food i try to open a little bit the door just not to touch the magnetic alarm and then when i ready to you know escape i'll try to uh, put all my stuff that is to wear but I know it's freezing outside at the time but the only thing that I have to go right that day because if not I don't know what is happening if I can escape at that day 
So when I step out the door, I'm really scared. I feel so nervous. It's like I'm shaking. I don't know if it is shaking with nervous or cold. I really don't know. I just keep praying that hopefully they they are not catching me up. When I, you know, at the gate, it's hard for me to open it because, you know, when you feel nervous and scared, it's hard. You never know what to do really exactly. And then when I'm in the street that I have to meet my sister, I lost my way because I didn't even know which street is the right way I need to go. Because at the time, I didn't go out, you know, just only to look for the street. But because I have the cell phone that the drivers lent to me for that time. So I managed to call my sister that you have to find me because I didn't know where I have, you know, where I am right now. I can see the street. It's so dark, you know, freezing and windy. So they managed to find me, but I'm only just, you know, standing near the trees just to find me. But, you know, really, really scared because a lot of cars coming. I thought they're coming for me, but it's not. That's such yeah, a frightening. It's very hard. That sounds so frightening. And yeah. it just occurred to me that... <laughs> you sounded like you were escaping a prison and you know just everything you described how you didn't know where you were you didn't yeah yeah, and how you were kept in the house and how you had to time your escape so that nobody could detect you that sounds horrifyingly frightening and i'm astonished you had the courage to do that so um yeah you're you're a very brave person for taking on that um that route to 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 escape um you said your sister was in ottawa and that she was able to help you was she here as well as a migrant worker and happened to be in ottawa as well yes mm-hmm. yes she is and so, she, uh, she was nanny. instrumental to helping you um move on from this terrible employer that you were working for Actually, that's her friend that even that's that's her friend. She didn't even tell my sister the situation inside the embassy. She just asked that somebody will take over because she's living right that day. So she wants somebody to be replacement. So my sister, she's thinking that it is good, but she never you know, really think that there's something, you know, happening inside, but her friend didn't tell her anything. So um, I wanted to ask, you know, once you left your employment at uh, the embassy, um, you somehow became connected to uh, Migrante. And I wanted to know how you came to know of this organization, this support network for migrant workers and what role they played in helping you? Yeah, actually, uh, after I escaped at the embassy and there is a 
what is it nearest store that they call Divisoria store which is a filipino store that this migrancy organization they are they are always there uh to help some other people too as a community of a filipino community so at the time my sister uh went there just to buy something and so this uh organization and as some help for for me because my sister i told her but i need job because you know i have family back home so uh migranti ottawa is the one who helped me to get uh you know the employer because one of the members she also referred me to her employer at the time they uh they want to hire a nanny because there is an upcoming baby which is the third baby and this employer is also a lawyer and she is willing to help me because uh migrante also told my situation but in spite of that situation they really uh willing to hire me so i said thank you at least you know at, in spite of my situation you are still willing to hire me and at the time uh i escaped uh february 12 by february 13 i don't have any visa they cut off by the embassy because i have no passport so anytime they can you know cut off my visa the time when migrante start to help me uh they start me to ask what is my status i have for now i don't have the status any you know i have no visa at all and they asked me to uh really help me to do the paperwork to extend my visa that's the first step i need to do well it sounds um like an amazing support group um that yes um they helped you immensely in getting you your status after you leaving or fleeing your employer um and also connected yes. you with your future second employer who seemed like a much better employer um mm -hmm. than your first employer can you tell me a little bit about your job as a, with the second employer and how that differed from yeah. your experience in the from the first employer mm -hmm. uh, my new employer is a really nice family she had uh, three kids two girls and one boy and they treat me well they are very generous generous for all the things that you know they think that i need and then they're very supportive with my family back home because i you know i told them my story about my young one because when i left in the philippines i have this four months old baby which is very young and they said that you know why you need to why i need to wait for eight months if this you know abusive you know working for long hours is not really good but i think i just you know giving them chance to 
make their changes or maybe because we don't know each other so we need you know time to know each other but it's still not working so yeah i decided to escape and find the new employer which is now i stay with them for almost five years and the employer kids are very nice all the family even the mother and the father of both side of my employer they are really nice and you can feel the love the love that you know even you're far away from your your own family there is some family that willing to you know to give you comfort even you're working with them but yeah working with them is give me a lot of hope that someday i may be be with my family yeah it's it's terrible that the program was designed to recruit migrant workers to come to canada to do important work to care for people that we love but that you couldn't bring your loved ones with you you had at the time children in the philippines um and you said you left a baby at four months old to yes. come to work in canada i think my son was born around the same time and uh we have sons that are on the same age and i just marvel at <laughs> yes. the strength that you have to do what was necessary for your family's survival and i wonder if you could speak to that can you tell me what it was like to be separated for so long from your family when you left and how long you were separated from your family? Yeah, actually I was separated from my family with my kids for almost 12 years. Before I came to Canada, I had to work in Hong Kong for six years. And then I came here to Canada for another, another six years before I you know, sponsored by family. Yeah, because at the time you have to, when you are here in Canada and you're in the live in caregiver program, you have to finish your contract or the three years contract with your employer before you apply the uh, permanent residence. And when you did from there, at least for me, it took uh, 15 months before I received a permanent residence here in Canada with the support of my, you know, employer and migrante. I managed to fill out, you know, a lot of documentation. When, how, how did that affect uh, your family? relationships um being separated for 12 years you basically did not see some of your children grow up very much yes i've been in hong kong for six years and i've been only three weeks to stay with them every two years to have vacation and when i'm here in canada the first year because i with my second employer from embassy to my live-in caregiver 2012 and by 2013 because my new employer is a very good person so they pay for my ticket to go home just to see my family 
but at the time I stay at least a month, although it's not enough, but I still, you know, need to go home to see what, you know, the four months old baby, he's growing already when I came home. He's already two years old. When I came home, it's very hard because as a mother, you want to hug your baby. But at the time, he doesn't know me. He knows a mama like my, you know, my mother or my mother-in-law. That's what, you know, he knows. Although we talk for video call, Skype, but it's very different, you know, when you're only on Skype or video call. Sometimes two years old, you know, didn't understand why I have a lot of mama. My grandmother is mama. My another grandmother is mama. And me, when I arrive, it's another mama. So it's hard for the baby. It's hard for you too. I can see that. Yeah, it's hard. I cry when I came home and I asked my mother why he never hugged me. And he just, when I, when I, come to give hug, he cried and ran away. That must have been so hard for you. I'm so sorry. It's very hard. You were able to bring your, you have uh, how many children, Mary Jane? I have three children, uh, all boys. Mm -hmm. When I uh, started to came here in Canada, they are already 12, 10, and that four months old. And you were able to sponsor them to come to Canada 12 years after you started working as a migrant worker? No, I started to sponsor them since 2000. If I, you know, from here in Canada, five years. But if you count the time that you were in Hong Kong, you were away from your family for almost 12 yes. years? So yes. You were able... 12 years. So you sponsored them. With them. Yeah, and they're in Canada now? Yeah, they're here with me. Can you speak about uh, the transition of bringing your family to Canada and getting to know each other again as a family and how difficult that was? It's very difficult because at the time when we see each other at the airport, they're, they're hugging me, but it's really, you can feel that they really miss me. No, they can't, you know. They're really not, you know, attached with you because they grow with their father. I understand because I'm not there, you know, for 12 years. So I just hold myself not to, I have to understand. And then at the time when I, you know, start, I have to take up from my work as a nanny for almost nine months just to cope up or just to it's like trying to bring it back the pieces that I miss for 12 years but it's very hard it's like we're like a stranger I know them that they they are my kids but growing without mother it's very hard sometimes I have to understand their attitude, their emotions, feelings. How can I cope up with all of these things? 
And I always ask my husband, why sometimes I don't know them. It's like I'm started to, uh, you know, start from where I left because they're very young when I left them, you know, in the Philippines. So when we reunite, they're already teenagers. That must be so hard. Um, very hard. I wonder if you can tell me, you know, now that you have gone through this entire lengthy process, I mean, if you count the time you spent in Hong Kong, but the time in Canada and the time it took to process your application for permanent residence and the time it mm -hmm. took to sponsor everyone, all of these multiple steps, what do you wish the government would do to change things so that people would not have to go through what you went through? If they can, you know, at the time or at the time of the program, if we can, you know, go or come here to Canada with our family, I know it's very hard to establish our own life here because it's a new country for us, the weather and everything. But if we have a job that is based uh, on, what is that? A salary that can live, you know, it's like pays enough to live. I don't think we're gonna, you know, I don't think we can survive, but at least if you have a pay that, you know, enough to live, family is always, you know, get together to hold whatever it takes. That's one, one thing that I want to, you know, have changed that, you know, if they can come together, I know it's very hard, but if you can come together with your family, it's more better than you came here alone and waiting for a long time, you know, separate from your family for a long time. There's lots of changes. There's lots of, you know, uh, happening that sometimes, you know, it's hard to hold. You never know. Every second, every minute, there's always, you know, anything can happen. And you don't know what is really, you know, the future that comes. Yeah, you had to pay a very heavy price to um, bring your family here to Canada. You had to work a long time away from them, alone in the country, uh, a new country. Do you have any other advice for the government about how migrant workers should be protected from their employers, given the abusive situation that you found yourself in when you first arrived in Canada? Yeah, for me, I think uh, working and, you know, in Canada, it's like you have to know really the rules and regulations that they may take before you came. Because sometimes there is some uh, rules that you think it's good, but when you came here, it's a very, you know, um, different. Although before I thought um, Canada is a kind of, <clears throat> yeah, because my friend said, oh, it's good when you live in Canada, but they never tell that it's almost, you know, fame what is really left from the Philippines. 
although there are some differences that you are here in Canada. But situation is like, you know, they're almost the same. Yeah, that's interesting that you're not prepared for the kinds of working conditions you are subject to in Canada. And it's, it's almost misleading because Canada projects itself as a country that believes in human rights and fair treatment of people. But yet there's yeah. these pockets of experiences where people are still experiencing abuse and exploitation. Yeah, because somebody doesn't, you know, didn't, you know, have carries also to let them, you know, let the government knows what is really happening inside, especially all the embassy, because I have lots of friends that is still in the embassy that now is still in the embassy that they cannot go out because of their situation. Yeah, that's really frightening. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to add or share about your, your migration story um, now that you are... Yeah here in Canada and your family's here? Yeah, for me, yeah, I've been, you know, maybe thank you for, you know, for the support of my country, for my, you know, employer, that they really support me to let my family come here. And, you know, um, I also thanks for all the people that is still there to help each other and the chance that um, I am happy that my family is here already, but long separation is not really good to, you know, coop up everything that you miss a year, so many years that you miss for the long separation. Yeah, I think that's all for now. That's well, I want to thank you, Mary Jane, for sharing your story. I know it's extremely difficult to be so open and you were so brave for expressing yourself, um, your emotions, your experience. And I know that it will help inform future policymakers, students who may be interested in working in the immigration field and perhaps people who will be designing our immigration programs. So I hope this means that people will take your experience into consideration when they are designing the programs, when they're reviewing applications, and when they are confronted with an, a person who is experiencing trauma or uh, an abusive employer. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hope they will learn from my experience. A lot of things happening that nobody knows if nobody speak. That's right. So it's super brave of you to share your story. Migration Conversations is created and hosted by me, Professor Jamie Liu, and produced by University of Ottawa Tech Law Fellow June Gleed. This podcast was made possible with the guidance and assistance of University of Ottawa Tech Law Fellow Ritesh Kotak, Carleton University graduate student Rachel McNally, as well as the generous support of Carleton University and the University of Ottawa Shared Online Projects Initiatives. 
You can find more Migration Conversations episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube with closed captions. Thank you for listening and a special thank you for all the guests who have shared their experiences publicly.